Good morning, Funderburg. Hey, man. How we doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you doing in this time of quarantine? You know, I'm kind of sick of it. Yeah. Ugh. You know, a lot of people are turning to television during this time. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's not really our thing. Naturally, it's not. We've never really been huge TV guys. This isn't a this isn't a bashing people for watching not TV. Not at all. Bit. I love TV. <laughs> I mean, TV's good. We watch more movies. Yeah, we've been watching a lot of movies lately. And that's even been just a slow progression. Right. But, you know, Zach, I was thinking, and there's about three shows that I think define our college career. Okay. I, I would agree. Freshman year, we didn't have a TV. Right. That's, yeah, that's fine. But sophomore year we had got an apartment we got out of the dorms um and we found a show that meant a lot to us okay what was it practical jokers dude that show is funny i mean it was to the point where we knew what the episode was just by like the first skit we already knew who was gonna lose practical jokers for those of you that haven't seen it is essentially four friends who are just pranksters pranksters yeah they just like have they create games and things like that an example would be going to a supermarket and having to close pin balloons onto as many people as you could or something like that. Just random, hilarious. They're just funny. And all throughout it, you have your they have their guys in their ear right. saying things. So like while one person's doing the challenge, the others like have a microphone talking to his ear. It's, so funny. it's hilarious. So funny. Um, yeah, it was a great show. Awesome. OK, second show. Second show. Uh, we got into Stranger Things. Oh, man. I, I knew that was going to be on the list. Stranger Things. It was one of those nights we were on Netflix. It was just me and you to yeah. start. And we were like, dude, let's just watch something. And then Stranger Things just popped up. It was actually screen. this year. So yeah, just for, was, just for time, fall semester. we did it out of order. There was one for junior year. I feel like we can talk about in a second. But right. senior year, I'm interested to see it that. was three seasons in and we hadn't seen it. And we'd heard yeah. great things. And you're like, is now the time? You were like, have you ever seen Stranger Things? I was like, no. And you're like, well, let's just try the first episode. Yeah. And we were hook, line, hook, line, sinker. sink or sunk, drown. We watched them all, I think, in a month. Yeah, we watched all three episodes. No, we, all three seasons. I mean, that's what I mean. All three seasons. Um, yeah, we loved it. Obviously, kind of sure. bummed now that they won't be. They're not filming the yeah. fourth season yeah. because of this coronavirus. But that's okay. It's okay. We'll get back at it. I know. We just we just want to know what happened to Hopper. I know we don't want to we don't want to spoil anything, but, huge. but he's a, he's 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 one of our favorite characters. Gosh, he's a man. OK, Stranger Impractical Jokers, Stranger Things, both amazing. Stranger Things is a Netflix original. If you've never different. heard of it, you can look into it. Unbelievable. Some people think it's a little scary. It's a little scary. But hey, it's OK. It's OK. Kids now, just love the kids. Oh, I love it. I love it. All our right. last show. OK, this was junior year. So we actually just I, I skipped it. I'm trying to think. I really and don't know what it would be. This was less of like a whole year to find, but more of a solid month. OK. And it was, we would watch Planet Earth. Oh, oh. <laughs> Dude, it never, I don't think we ever turned the TV off. No. And I've never. We would spend hours watching documentaries on bats or chameleons yes. or giraffe, like whatever it was. What the, the narrator's voice would lock you in. Mm-hmm. And then it would be just interesting enough to where it's like, I can't turn away. There's like three things that define that that came to my mind immediately. One, I've never learned so much from a TV show. Never. I've learned so much about the environment we yep. live in. It was amazing. Two, I, well, it, it kind of breaks down. There's only two things. breaks down into two stories. Okay, okay. I've never cheered or gotten so hyped for a TV show ever. I would, I would agree. Two moments. Close, there's a close second of Stranger Things. I yeah, will say Stranger it. Stranger Things was awesome. But, but there's like, nothing cheer. like watching a, an animal run for its life. And like chase another one. Yes. The other moment I was thinking of is watching two giraffes fight. Yeah. 
and you're like, how is this effective? Why can't we just, <laughs> let's just settle an agreement. Let's right, talk let's it just out, talk man. it out in the trees, you know? If you've never seen a giraffe fight, please go YouTube right now, giraffes fighting. It looks like, it looks like two people fighting with pool noodles. But if you imagine <laughs> the pool noodles attached being to their body, the necks, the necks of the giraffes. And they just they're, sling they're just them. bending and slapping around. It's fascinating. Yeah. Dude, planet. It's how Zach and I settle a lot of our uh, we do. disagreements. We actually got. We in, just hit each other in the throat with our throat. Uh, ineffective. Effective. Ineffective. Yeah, because neither of us could swallow. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Bummer. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Coop. How we doing? Doing good, Zach. You know, I don't think I'll ever get tired of hearing you say those words. Well, I'm so glad, because hopefully we have a long way to go. I, you say them in your sleep. I, I don't do. Know if, I don't know if you know that, but well, sometimes when, you, when you're sleeping and, I, and I'm awoken, I just hear... Welcome! Just, <laughs> Zach, Zach, no one's at the door, man. No one's, just, no one's here. Well, we have a special episode today. Um, let me guess. Dare I say Your it. favorite? Dare I say it's my favorite. Oh, man. This is Jerry McNamara. Now, Ooh. Jerry, this is a story-based interview. I love stories. I know you love stories, which I think you're going to love this episode. I so, would think so, too. There's a lot to learn from this and like a lot of practical tips, but the majority of it is story. And it had me on the edge of my seat the whole time. Now he's a senior client partner at a at a company called Corn Ferry. Hmm, so that's Corn Ferry is like consulting. They they hire people, and, and I knew someone that worked there that connected me with Jerry. But here's what's what's so fascinating about Jerry, and here's the story that he tells, is that he was on flight fifteen forty nine. Wow, that landed on the Hudson. Yeah, the if you've seen the movie Sully, it's really good. It's Tom Hanks plays the pilot, but it's about this plane. That was flying out of uh, LaGuardia. I think it was flying out of New York. And and once they get up into the air, they hit a flock of birds. Wow. And they just, have to Just unfortunate. Off. I know. And then they have a water landing in the Hudson. Yeah. 155 people on the plane. Every single one of them survived. I mean, a miracle to say the least. A miracle. But Jerry was one of them. And so really what he tells the whole story, which is like 20 minutes of the podcast, and I loved it. I yeah. loved it. But then at the end, I got to ask him some questions just about, hey, how did Sully, how did people on board react in a positive way that really helped the cause and helped out? And then how did people respond negatively to this crisis yeah, that's great. that didn't help the mission? Because I feel like we're living in a time where leaders can either choose, I'm going to lead well or I'm going to not lead well in this time of crisis. Yeah, panic is contagious. Panic is so contagious. And if you land a plane on the Hudson and you panic, you're not landing the plane on the Hudson. <laughs> you're going to sing. You yeah. So it takes a special kind of leader, one, to, to land a plane on the Hudson, but then two, to to help 155 people survive it, yeah, get off, and then organize people to exit the plane. Jerry and was one of the last three people off. He was helping people all the way through the end, along with uh, Captain Sullenberger. An incredible story. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm ecstatic to hear it. I mean, I don't want to waste any more time. I say we just jump into Let's it. Let's get into it. Here he is, Jerry McNamara. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for being with us and, and answering some questions for us. I want you just to start by introducing yourself. What are you up to? Uh, and really, how did you get to where you are today? Okay, well, uh, Zach, I want to just, first of all, thank you for uh, hosting today. It's a delight to chat with you. And I'll share, I, I currently lead a global consulting practice for Corn Ferry for my office in New York. I actually live in Charlotte, North Carolina, but lead the practice from there. Um, we are a boutique within the larger Corn Ferry and uh, are primarily ex executive recruiters, uh, advisory consultants for all things talent 
and leadership development. Hmm. Uh, we have someone in London who leads the team for EMEA, someone um, who reports in, in Singapore leading Asia Pacific, someone in Sao Paulo for Latin South America, and I'm in New York. And we um, serve clients across the globe right. and help them with their business problem, which typically happens to be a leadership problem. Right. And this is a this is a uh, business that I've been in for over twenty years now with two different firms in in the industry, and I've been with Corn Ferry for seven years. Prior to that, I was with the IBM company for um, fifteen years. Uh, in sales and marketing huh. and management and then um you know a, a general manager uh, leading your business right. in uh, a sector of ohio for about five years prior right. to coming into consulting yeah so i mean you have a lot of leadership experience and even just through the consulting firm just knowledge of leadership and knowing what to do but specifically you have a, an instance or a time in your life and and it really wraps up into everything that's going on today with the coronavirus and just just crises going on in businesses but uh, you happen to be a passenger on flight 1549 that, that landed in the hudson many people who's listening probably have heard or have seen the movie sully which is based off of the experience that you had and, and in that you were able to deploy a lot of your leadership skills and, and capabilities. So I kind of want you to just tell the story, one of that day, and, and really just, just what happened and, and what kind of your experience was. Well, sure. Um, I have previously written some of my feelings, but it's been many years now. It's, well, it's over 10 years already. And right. um, it was an amazing day. I was actually in New York um, with um, – another firm at that time and was scheduled to take a flight home to, to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. I actually was scheduled to leave on a later flight, if you can believe that. Oh, wow. But it was snowing that morning in New York and knowing the airport as I do LaGuardia, I just reasoned that I would get there earlier and try to get on a flight that that took off uh, earlier in the in the afternoon. So I moved from like a three o'clock flight to like a one thirty flight or so. Huh. Uh, and um, in fact, it might have been a five o'clock flight, and I moved to a three o'clock. But uh, be that as it may, right? And nevertheless, I wound up on this uh, on this flight. And I remember in the boarding area, it's a very funny story actually. Uh, young lady that is a teammate of mine. We uh, recruit. Uh, among other things, chief information officers for some of the biggest companies on the planet. And in the waiting area, we were actually conducting the search for um, a new CIO huh. for, at the time, United Airlines, I believe. And we were in the waiting area and speaking to some individuals whom we thought could help us with that project. And I remember seeing the pilot entering the gangway, you know, going on to the ship. Right. And at the time, I didn't know it was Sully, but now he's famous and right. you know, known quite well. So yeah. anyway, we, board, we boarded the plane that afternoon. It was sort of a gray, overcast, uh, snowy day, and um, everything was fine, though. We were... The funny thing is, is that on the previous flight that I was scheduled to be on, because I fly so frequently, I had been upgraded to a position in like one of the first three or four roles. Well, when I sw when I switched flights, I wound up in row eight in the F position. So on the window in row eight. Oh wow! Which I was fine with because it's really not a long flight, and I just wanted to get home. Right. And so we were. Uh, Taxiing out, all systems go, you know, 
relatively clear day, you know, not rainy or slushy or anything like that, but a brisk, cold January day in New York. And so as we took off, um, all things seemed fine. Um, and there was a young man next to me in the middle seat, sort of craning and looking over my shoulder out the window. And, hmm. and having been born and raised in New York, I, I know the city quite well. So I began to give him sort of a tour. And as we took off north, we went over the Bronx and we could see Yankee Stadium and the Hudson River. And, you know, I was sort of giving him the lay of the land, White Plains and, and so forth. And then uh, not not probably three minutes into the flight as we were ascending and climbing in altitude, uh, this bird strike occurred. Hmm. And, you know, I, I sort of knew what would happen because you could smell you could smell flesh, I, at least I did, in the cabin of the plane. The, right. the birds hit the, um, you know, the engines and tore them up. Uh, I, I actually thought, because I was very on the window and close to one of the engines, I was in front of the engine, I thought the engines on our side were fine. Mm. But I reasoned that the ones on the other side were out because I, did, I just didn't hear those engines go out. So I, I concluded that, you know, he the pilot won't go to Charlotte. He'll go to Newark or he'll go around to Kennedy or right. JFK. There are many airports in the New York metro area. He could get to Charlotte on one engine, but they're not going to do that. They're going to they're going to land. Right. So um, as as we were waiting for a report and it seemed like an eternity. And that's one thing I will share that. Um, my gosh, seemed really longer than maybe it was, which was waiting for information from the mm. cabin, from the cockpit, from the agents, the attendants. Right. And nothing was forthcoming. And so all of a sudden it, it became very quiet. You know, a minute or two later it became very quiet. And I realized that, you know, both both engines were out. And so concluded that we're, we're as high as we're going to get. It's sort of like we're gliding and we're losing altitude. Right. And about that time, uh, Sully began to turn the plane south, and I, I recall looking out of the window, and I could see that we could, I could almost touch the, the top of the George Washington Bridge. So he was wow. over the Hudson and was making a turn and then lining up on the river. And so I wasn't sure at the time whether or not he was going to make a left and try to go over the city and the skyscrapers to go back to LaGuardia, or he may be making a real hard right turn and going to Teterboro, which is a smaller commuter airport in New Jersey. Huh. Because Newark was seven miles away. Right. South, and uh, just concluded he would never make that. Yeah, it's too far. And so until he said – Brace for impact. And it's really the only thing Sully said was brace for impact. And then at that point, everybody in the cabin sort of like there were people crying, there were people praying, there right. were people texting. Now, this was uh, a while back, so smartphones were just coming into – I mean most people were carrying a BlackBerry right. phone, right? So uh, to the degree they could, they would be texting and trying to get messages out because – Many of us concluded, you know, this is this is probably the last day because as we when he said brace for impact, then the crew took over and just said, you know, put your heads down, brace, tighten your seatbelt. And that they continued to scream that out at everybody. And it became pretty chaotic. In right. the cabin. Although no one got out of their seat. Everybody was trying to obey and uh, take direction from the crew. 
Hmm. And we were descending, and we and it was a completely controlled descent. That is to say, if you didn't know anybody, you'd think he was just going to land on a runway. Right. So we weren't bobbing or weaving or rocking or rolling. It was a controlled descent. Uh, but knowing the New York metro areas, I do. I could tell he, he was going to land in the water. And um, I was on the side as we were going south looking at the Jersey shoreline. You know, looking at the homes and the buildings and the businesses in Teterboro, not Teterboro, Weehawken, and um, you know some of the other places like Jersey City and Hoboken. Hmm. And so I knew we were going in the water. And sure enough, um, my personal feelings at the end were, um, you know, I felt like uh, I'm, I'm a former Marine and I've always loved flying. I, I, I got paid to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. I'd always found it thrilling. Right. And so I t- tightened my seatbelt as tight as I could get it, believing that if I survive, then maybe I can get myself out of the plane and help some other people. Right. So, um, but I envisioned, I envisioned us like landing on the water and maybe the nose hitting and us flipping and being upside down and submerged. And I was just thinking the worst. And really shocked to see that. I mean, Sully just nailed it. He, as many of you have seen in the video, he sort of dragged the tail of the plane and then set it down. And we were completely safe. And, you know, we, we submerged a little bit. It was, a, it was a little bit of a plunge when we landed, but we bopped back up and there we were floating on the water. And it was just, it was, it was shocking. And the whole thing took maybe from takeoff to landing, I don't know, 12 minutes. Hmm. It, it, it felt like an eternity. It felt like 35 minutes. Right. It just, the, 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 how do I say this? The aspect of time was something I found rather surreal. And, um, you know, it's to this day still, it just seems like the whole event took so much longer than it actually did. Right. And so when we, when we did ultimately land and, you know, we were descending and, you know, tighten the seatbelt and set up, set our prayers and just ask the Lord to take care of our family and, Everybody has different reaction. You know, there are people crying, there are people praying, there are people texting, as I said, and um, and we were—I think we we're all shocked to to survive it. Right. And then someone just said, said "Yo, let's get out of here." Uh, there were actually some expletives used, but uh, those people that were on the door and the configuration of this plane, where there were two doors just aft the cockpit. There were four doors amidship over each of the you know wings, so two on one over one wing, two over another, and there was one door in the rear. And so the doors amidship were open immediately, and people began to file out. Mm. And um, <clears throat> those in, in the first class area went out the front. All the people amidships went out over those wings. Some people jumped in the water. It, you know, the good news is for some people they were right up at the door, so they could get out. The bad news is. Some of them got pushed out, right, and into the water, or were encouraged to, you know, uh, jump in the water and get out of the way. And the water was freezing. The temperature, I think, the air temperature was in the low thirties. Wow. The water temperature, well, the air temperature was in the twenties, and the water temperature was in the low thirties. And so it wouldn't take more than ten or fifteen, twenty minutes to to become overcome by. You know, the and hypothermia would set in, right? Probably right. Pretty quickly. Weather. <clears throat> so, 
um, what what occurred for me is it's funny how at that point and you don't see this in the movie and it doesn't really get talked about but there's a lot of chaos on the plane right and um the young man next to me as an example turned around started climbing over the seat and the people behind him to get to the door hmm. and he was he was panicked and there was some women on the plane and children on the plane and believe it or not there, there's some people who just get run over yeah now most of this most of the passengers were business people people you didn't know their name but you see them often you see them frequently because they're on the bus that you're on on a monday morning you're going up to new york and coming back so they're working with wachovia or bank of america or you know one of the banks or the you know belk or these companies that are headquartered in charlotte but have to be in new york or the new york metro area for business reasons on any particular week right and so you know, you know them, but you you know you don't know their name. Uh, you know because you see them frequently. Mm. But I, but I'd say that um, most everybody behaved in a in a in a good uh, fashion, given the crisis that you know you're you're in the midst of. And I think what I've learned as as a former military officer and my time in leadership is that you know until you can get control of your own fear. You really can't help yourself or others, right? Because you're you're frozen, right? So, uh, so many people you, you you get wired into the fact that you know it's self preservation, hmm. and until you get control of your fear, you're really only thinking about yourself, right? And so, once done, you can you know do the right thing by yourself and by others. And in short order, good order took over, right? So people got online. We started moving out. So as I exited the plane, I exited my row, turned to the rear, and then uh, the line moving to the right. So going over the, how do I say this, the starboard wing. Right. It's on the port side of the plane, the left side of the plane. As you look forward, I exited on the starboard side of the plane and went on to that wing. Hmm. And so um, we were just there. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about New York, and I, one of the things that helped me was I'm from that area. I swam in that river. I knew exactly where I was. Right. But that's not the case for everybody that was on that, that ship, that plane there. You know, they live in North Carolina or South Carolina, wherever. I mean, um, I felt like I knew exactly where we were. <clears throat> and what's not widely known about the Hudson River is it's an estuary so that it it is a mixture of at that point uh, fresh water and salt water that changes as the tide changes so at one portion of the day the tide would be going north uh, up the Hudson and you know eight or ten hours later the water's coming south towards the Statue of Liberty Mm. And it's constantly changing. So it's it's this mixture of salt and fresh water, but the current is swift and it's strong. And so we were heading south at that point in time and ever so slowly turning around. Right. So the, the plane was floating, but moving south at a couple of knots and turning, which made the rescue rather difficult because it took about 20 minutes of us sitting out on the wing while it felt like that anyway. <clears throat> and the first visitors, the rescuers, were the actual uh, ferries 
Uh, that portion of New York and New Jersey is very busy with ferry traffic. Mm. So these are business people going back and forth between like the banks in Lower Manhattan to facilities that they have over in New Jersey. Hmm. I've often taken those. So you'll, you'll go down to Lower Manhattan, you get on the ferry. Within 10 minutes, you're across the river and you're over at the offices of J.P. Morgan Chase or Lord Abbott or Barclays or something. Because right. they have many employees and facilities on the other side of the river. This is a common thing. And um, so there are many, many vessels going back and forth. And once everybody realized what happened, they began the rescue, which was amazing because these vessels are not, they're not configured for rescue. As an example, when one of those ferries pulls up to the wing, it's about 10 feet right. from the wing to the deck of the ferry. So they would throw over, uh, you know, a, what would essentially be a Jacob's ladder that you have to climb up. Huh. <clears throat> and the challenge was that now this ship's pilot needed to keep the vessel on on the wing and they would do that but the rear end or the stern of the boat would be taken by the current and was being pushed into the plane fascinating so he couldn't stay that pilot couldn't stay on station more than getting three or four or five people on then they had to move off because they were putting the rest of the, of the ship in, in danger, the plane in danger. It's we so had crazy. about seven or eight of us. Uh, actually, when we first exited the plane, the wing was full. But over time, as Sully exited and uh, the co-pilot exited uh, the cockpit, they started handing out life preservers and getting people to come in. And there was all sorts of small vessels showing up from the fire department, the police department, and so forth. So people began to exit the wing on both sides, put on life preservers, and, and then get in these smaller boats that would take them off. But, you know, we, about seven of us, made a decision to stay on the wing and work with the uh, ferries to get on it. The interesting thing I, sh I shared here that many of your listeners will find amazing, and I did too upon reflection, every time you get on a plane, the agents are telling you about what to do in the case of a water landing. Right. Okay. Well, this was a water landing. But everybody exited the vessel, exited the, the plane, not one of us. If, if you look at the early pictures, when we first landed and crashed, not one of us had a life preserver on. Hmm. It wasn't until Sully exited, started, you know, they started handing them out. And I never had a life preserver on. Actually, as I exited my row, I was in the F seat. I exited and pulled the seat cushion off the D seat in my row and had that with me, believing that if I had to get in the water, I could save myself and maybe, you know, paddle to the shore or save someone else. So right. I had that with me until I got on uh, the ferry and I just, you know, I tossed it overboard. Huh. Actually, I wish I had saved it at this point, but right, I bet. I <clears throat> we had, um, we had several ladies with us, you know, of those seven or eight, it was me, you know, five other gentlemen and two women and, uh, they had high heels on and, you know, we were standing in water right? and that got up to our knees. Uh, one of the gals, you know, slipped into the water. Uh, the fellow next to me was a bank of America, um, guy, uh, named Casey Jones and I didn't know Casey uh, we keep in contact now but I didn't know him when we got on that plane and he went into the water to really rescue this gal and I laid down on the wing and held him by the back of his belt 
So he was in the water pulling her back up. I was holding on to his uh, pants belt, his trouser belt. And uh, we got everybody back up. And we actually ushered her to the front of the line so that she would be next in line to get on the vessel. Right. I bet she was cold. And she was she was in shock, actually, because yeah. we asked her her name. There was nothing coming back. She was completely soaking wet. It was really windy. And she was actually on the Jacob's Ladder, and the pilot of that vessel was trying to hold it on station, and he couldn't, so he had to back away. I thought she perished because she was on the ladder. The ferry moved away, and hovering above us was, at the time, a couple of helicopters and we were waving them off because one, they were blowing us around the back, the rotor wash from the, uh, Oh yeah. From the uh, helicopters were sort of, you know, we were unsteady and we were afraid they were going to blow us off. Uh, it was certainly sucking all the heat out of our bodies with that wind. Hmm. And what I didn't realize, I thought she perished because we lost track of her. Another vessel came up, we got on it, and I was one of the last three off that wing. And we went to Weehawk in New Jersey. I found out later that those that helicopter was a police New York Police Department helicopter and it contained like three divers. They went over to where she was in the middle of the river on the on the ferry. They jumped out of the helicopter, got in the water, swam to her, convinced her to release herself from the from the ladder and put her in a small little dinghy and saved her. Wow. That's fascinating. Everybody lived. And, um, (laughs) you know, we wound up in Weehawk in New Jersey. And when we arrived there, um, those the people, the employees that work there and are on those those ferries basically gave us these monster baggies, these big garbage bags and some of their uniforms, which were dry and folded and cleaned. And so we got out of the wetsuits. Those of us who were wet threw them in a baggie, put on a uniform. We wound up getting on a bus that took us to a local Elks club in Weehawken. Hmm. Uh, now we were all over the place. Some some of the people who were rescued went to went to New York, and you know they were taken there by the fire department who were out on the boats, the fire boats. Some of us went to um, a hotel in Newark, and their company flew them home to Charlotte. Uh, in my case, I went to this Elks Club, and uh, I have a lot of family in the New York metro area. And my sister and brother-in-law came, picked me up, and I stayed with them for the night. Wow. And then the following day, flew home from uh, JFK um, to Charlotte. My wife picked me up here, but it was a, it was a surreal day. Um, when I when you know, my phone was in my pocket, and it was a BlackBerry at that time, and it was wow. soaking wet, yeah. result of uh, us getting all drenched. Jeez. I borrowed a phone, called my wife. She had no idea what had happened. Wow! And luckily, she heard it from me. Yeah, and that's such a blessing. Jennifer Sparks, who's been my teammate for many years. Yeah, come she, on, Jen. She she emailed uh, people across my firm who knew that I was on that flight hmm. and let let them know that you know I was fine. It was just an amazing day, and um, I would say, listen, you know, the best of humanity showed up that day. I mean, right. none of us. We all know each other now. We remain connected. Um, the Sully movie, we all think, was 
a good representation of how we behaved that day. Um, although I think it was a little spiced up and uh, there was some controversy inserted in there, we were never aware of how the NTSB uh, interrogated Sully or any of that. And I don't even know if that's true. It may have been inserted in the movie by the directors. Oh, to, interesting. To tell the movie. Huh. You know, and, he, and I think Sully sort of thought it was a good representation of how all well went down that day. But at the end of the day, we didn't own the movie. Right. It was owned, created by Warner Brothers, and they had literary license. So it's whatever they it's, wanted. Uh, an amazing event. Right. Uh, I think because um, listen, you see, you see, the God's glory at work and the best mm. of humanity there. And I don't know what the message was that he was trying to send. But I think it was such a positive, positive event for everybody involved. Right. Um, I, I do know some people that have, you know, don't fly anymore. The result of that, mm. I know, know several of them that have chosen not to fly. They just um, that day was incredibly. Uh, they're just panic stricken. The result of what occurred that day. I, I'm not one of those people. I, I'm, I'm good with flying. I typically fly 100 flights a year for my business right um and i'm just fortunate to be here be able to tell the story well i'm I'm glad you did thank you so much for for just sharing the story with us i want to ask you just what kind of just leadership lessons did you take away from either sully or anyone who was on the flight that really stood up kind of what was said what was done to get people off and one of one of your quotes actually in one of your articles was sully was saying the things that needed saying and doing the things that needed doing and caring about everyone on the plane with absolute clarity a lot of leaders that I see suffer from lack of this. How did you see practically Sully and other leaders on the plane operating out of absolute clarity to get people off safely? Well, it maybe goes left unsaid. <clears throat> when you're in a group like that and there is a crisis, people will, will respond to leadership. Right. They don't say it, but they're looking for it. So if someone steps up and speaks with clarity, people will follow. Hmm. People will follow you. They're looking for direction. They're looking for guidance. Right. And think about yourself on the plane. The pilot comes out, the man's wearing a uniform, and says, here's what we're going to do. Bing, bang, boom. People just do it. They, they, they just follow leadership. People are looking to follow if led correctly. And I really think in situations like this, listen, adversity builds character. You know, a crisis like this forges character. Right. And what I saw on that plane is there were, and I didn't know this at the time, but there were three or four people with military backgrounds, Sully included. Mm. Sully was a former Air Force pilot. I think he was a he was a squadron commander. He went to the Air Force Academy. Um, I I was a former Marine captain. A very close friend of mine here in Charlotte was in first class. He's a, he was a former, was still on active duty in the Marine Corps as a battalion commander. Wow. And there was a, an enlisted Navy, uh, now former enlisted Navy man in the rear of the ship. We've all, you know, know each other now. But we learned that each of us took, you know, leadership roles during this event. And, and we often say, well, how did that happen? And so I think of myself on that wing with seven other people, and you start just saying, you know, everybody's sort of frozen and saying, hey, let's do this. Let's work together. Let's, you know, you get into small groups, you figure out the problem, and you try to work together to overcome it, to achieve it. 
mm. right, to, right. To tackle the issue. So it's the smallest of things. You speak up, you speak directly, you speak in an encouraging manner and say, hey, let's get this done. And people follow. Right. People are looking for followership. I love that. And, and just taking initiative ultimately for the benefit of the other people on the flight or in, in your company, I think that's a lesson that a lot of people can learn right now with the coronavirus going on is that it's not always from the top coming down. It's it's everyone doing your job and the small teams that you have. And then slowly we're, we can get through this. We can get through this crisis. And you said multiple times that the best of humanity came out that day, that you worked together as a team. How did on the flight, how did everyone come together? How does a leader bring people together to, to get through a crisis and how did you see that play out on flight 1549 well listen i i don't i think people understand that the problem that is confronting them is bigger than any one person hmm. and that is you know it's you back to survival right so how how are you going to get out of this problem right this is a problem it's, it's an eminent problem it's an eminent threat how are you going to get out of this problem you realize that you can't you have to rely on others so immediately you sort of click in and say, okay, let's help each other. And then someone inevitably steps forward and says, okay, here's the team. Here's, now they may not be using these words, but essentially saying, here's the problem. Here's what, how we're going to solve it. Grab this, take that. You, you hold on to her, you carry him. And there you go. It's like, awesome. You know, it's like everybody clicks in. Everybody finds a role. Some people need more help than others, but there will be people that step forward. And ultimately, that's what occurred. So um, listen. Right. What, did anyone on the flight, you kind of mentioned the, the Bank of America guy next to you, or not Bank of America, somebody next to you climbing over seats. Did anyone respond negatively that kind of hindered the moving forward of the outcome of the of the day? Just negative emotions or negative uh actions that didn't help the goal of the team well that was that was an example uh and i think he needed to be sort of corrected right and and then got up he, he gathered himself and behaved in a way that was going to be conducive to solving the problem there was another individual i've never met him but you know there was an, an agent at the back because we you know she didn't want the back door to be open that was not an exit hmm. because the tail of the plane was submerged Oh, yeah. This individual overcame her, pushed her aside. Actually, she hurt her leg or her ankle, opened the back door, and the, the plane began to flood in the rear. Mm. That was not a good thing. Right. That was not helpful. And once it was open, you couldn't get it closed. Right, of so course. So the plane began taking on water and became less seaworthy. Now, it didn't ultimately it didn't submerge until much later, until everybody was off. Uh, but that was behavior that was not helpful to, you know, the overall problem that they're trying to overcome. Right. Well, I mean, that's amazing. I think one of my just last question for you, uh, Jerry, is just anyone facing a crisis, if you're talking to a leader that that is preparing themselves for a crisis they will face or they happen to be in a crisis, which many leaders are, how? what advice would you give to that person to weather the storm, if you will, or to lead your people through? What advice would you tell them either from, from something sullied, something you learned that day, or even something from your experiences in leadership? What advice would you tell someone to lead through a crisis? Well, Listen, I think fundamentally, Sully would probably say this, and, and um, it, it, my my view is that when you have a problem, you figure it, you you, have, you create you create a plan to overcome the problem. Hmm. 
And so the leader has to develop that plan and communicate it to the team. Right. Sometimes it's chaotic and it's, you know, you're, you're improvising. <clears throat> and sometimes you have time. You're in a crisis now. Let's take the crisis we're now, right? And we're constantly communicating with our team. Right. But I know, and I know Sully knows, we don't have all of the answers, mm. right? We're responsible for the team and we want to guide them through. And we come up with a plan. But a plan is a plan. Right. And I don't know what's going to confront the team tomorrow or the next day or next Monday. Mm. So I need to be ready to improvise and take more information in, which will cause me to pivot on the plan. Or I need to be able to take information from my team because there's a lot of really smart people that are on my team. Right. And I don't have all the answers. I'm responsible for an outcome, but I need to take this information in, crank it into the plan and improvise. So you have a battle plan, but that plan is great until you step off the line of demarcation, go to battle and deal with the, the issues that come your way. It changes every day. So what made sense last Friday doesn't make sense on Monday because the world has changed. So my advice is I think you need to understand the wisdom of teams. Right. So just because you're in charge doesn't mean you have all the answers. You, you need to be responsible for the team and you need to feed and nourish and uh, enable the team. But the team is smart. And together, all of those ideas, the plan will be much better, much more resilient and uh, much more capable of achieving success. You're taking the information from the team, distilling it, and then sort of giving the orders and say, okay, I've taken everything in. You guys have been terrific. Let's you know, synthesize it and let's agree on which way we're going to go. If there's a conflict or if there is um, something we can't agree on, I'll break the tie. But let's move forward here. What I'm saying is, it's really important to make sure you have everybody's input. You must make a decision. Someone must make a decision. And some of those decisions are really hard. Right. Right. Someone's got to make them. Uh, yeah, I think you've so many great tips. They're just stepping up, taking initiative. And I love what you said, just leaders are responsible for the outcome. And, and there's so many opinions, there's so many voices in the room, and it's the leader's job to grab all of the best voices, the best ideas to, to create a plan, implement it, and, and explain it with clarity and then get the outcome that is desired because leaders are responsible for outcomes and it shows up so much in, in the flight that landed on the Hudson. Uh, but Jerry, thank you so much for your wisdom and your words and your time. Uh, I appreciate it a ton and we're so thankful you're safe. Well, thank you, Zach. Um, I'm grateful for your time. I hope what I've shared is, uh, is helpful and useful, but most importantly uh, can be uh, maybe leveraged in time of crisis by some of your listeners absolutely i think it was thank you so much jerry 